All right, we, today we come to one of the most important topics in the life of a Christian, that is prayer. Not that we'll be dealing with the whole subject, for we're continuing through the Sermon on the Mount, but we're going to look at what Jesus taught about real prayer. You may know that we uh, produced a series on prayer some time ago, a book here called Prayer and the Voice of God, which looks at the topic as such, and there are copies of for sale there in the bookshop if you'd like to get hold of one recent, uh, afterwards, Prayer and the Voice of God. But we're just looking here at the Sermon on the Mount and this section on the Sermon on the Mount that is about prayer. For Jesus assumes that prayer is part of the life and righteousness of a disciple. It's something commanded in the Old Testament and expected of the New Testament. For most of us, prayer is one of the greatest parts of being a child of God. And yet, it's one of the strangest, most mysterious parts as well. For here we are, when we pray, talking to the Almighty God Himself, talking to He who rules the universe, and He is listening to our requests. He's, he's listening and even more, He is responding to what we're asking for. Now that's an extraordinary activity when you think about it, isn't it? That the Almighty Lord of the universe is responding to what you and I may be saying. But Jesus' concern is that, that this prayer that we offer, whatever we pray, is real. For hardly any activity is so open to abuse as prayer, both by the hypocrites who appear to be talking to God when they're really only talking to humans, and to pagans who don't know God and therefore Babylon in senseless, meaningless phrases. So the disciples of Jesus must have reality in their relationship with God. For when they pray to God, they should be speaking to their heavenly Father in the same kind of meaningful language with which they would speak to their earthly Father. To highlight this reality of this prayer, Jesus talks of two false ways of praying. Two false ways in contrast to the Father's way to pray. Now these false ways to pray are the way of the hypocrite and the way of the pagan. The hypocrites pray that they may be seen by others. That's their methodology of prayer. That's their motivation. That's the direction. That's how they pray. And these are amongst the Jews, God's own people. And so we must be particularly concerned as Christian people that we do not follow the same hypocrisy as God's ancient people, the Jews, did. For the hypocrite's way of prayer seems to be talking to God, but in fact it's talking to other people. It's talking to the people around about. It's talking to the people who can hear and see what we're doing. The hypocrite's way is to be far more concerned with what other people are thinking of the prayer than what God thinks about the person who prays. The hypocrite is more concerned that he is heard by others than he is heard by God. The hypocrite looks like he's depending upon God in prayer, but he's really trying to impress others by his showmanship of spirituality. So Jesus speaks of them, loving to pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, but always to be seen by others. 
It's this love of the other's attention that marks out the hypocrite. In his giving and in his fasting, it's the same thing as it is in his praying. He loves to be noticed by people. Friends, this is still so easy to do. To be concerned about how people react to our prayer. Uh, to try to be poetic, to try to be eloquent in our prayers, to worry over our lack of eloquence, to say, well, I can't pray because I I can't string words together very well. Uh, To lead in public prayer, but to be prayerless in our own private life. Or to make long-winded and impressive prayers. Or to insist on people making everything a matter of conversation, every conversation a matter of prayer. My family and I went to a conference some years ago when we had little children and uh, I was invited to say grace at the meal time. Seeing I had my very little children with me, I just said the family little grace that we said at that time, thank you Jesus for this lovely food, amen. The, the, the whole conference erupted in laughter and I just wondered that I had said the wrong thing totally, that they laughed and when asking I found out that over the previous days Every person saying grace at every meal was outdoing each other in the length of their prayers so that the food was getting cold at each meal time. And so when I prayed as I did, it just seemed to kind of put a pin in the whole balloon of the need for long and lengthy prayers where we thank God not only for the food but for everything else that has happened through the Sydney Morning Herald on that day. It's not how we need to pray when we're just saying grace. And there was a man I knew who made me feel spiritually inferior by the way in which he always ended every conversation, no matter how little trivial or it was, always on, oh, well, we must pray about that, brother. Well, let's turn this over to a matter of prayer. This is something we've got to pray about. He was sacked from his job in a Christian organisation because he was stealing money from the organisation to pay for his mistress. But he was so earnest in, we've got to pray about this and we've got to pray about that. It's easy to put on hypocrisy in prayer. Hypocrisy wasn't limited to the first century Jews. It's alive and well in the 21st century Christianity. And Jesus warned that the hypocrite received their rewards. For they would be heard by others. They'd have no reward from the Father in heaven wouldn't be listening to their prayers for they were not really praying to him they're really praying to others and so others would hear their prayers others would see them as prayerful others would be impressed by their spirituality it's an exquisitely just reward the punishment is exactly what is deserved they get what they ask for they want to impress other people And so other people are impressed by them. And that's not worth having compared to here having the Heavenly Father listen to our prayers and give us the things that we're asking for. They're not heard by God because they weren't talking to God. They're seen by the people for whom they're putting on a show. The second false way of prayer is of those who think they will be heard for their many words. It's the pagan's way of praying that you see in verses 7 and 8 of the passage there before us. This is the Gentiles' way to pray. Uh, The Gentiles were the non-Jews, the other nations, who did not have the revelation of God 
given by Moses and given to Moses. They didn't have any revelation of God beyond the created world. So they prayed to God or to their gods for all people at various times and ways in life pray out to God. But they are just heaping up empty phrases and many words in order to impress God, thinking they can force the hand of God somehow by their prayers. Well, there are so many examples of this kind of praying today in the many nations outside of uh, Christianity and outside of the Bible. There are the, the people who still have prayer wheels going day in, day out. There are those who are uh, f- have flags fluttering with, in the wind with prayer requests written on the flags. And I'm sure that in the age of cyberspace, we were able to get our computer to turn up prayers all the time to God if we wanted to, just continually, eternally running up the prayers as if somehow God is in cyberspace and is listening to the twitchings of our, of our computers. And then there's the Hare Krishna group who... I haven't heard lately singing around, but they are going around begging on the streets. They get up every morning for two hours and they pray, Hari Krishna, Hari Hari, Hari Krishna, Hari Hari, Hari Krishna, Hari Hari, for two hours until the endorphins take over and they go off into a weird state of mind similar to that which they used to have when they were on drugs before they became Hari Krishnas and spent their time saying Hari Hari, Hari Krishna, Hari Hari, Hari Krishna. It's meaningless, it's a babble, it doesn't go anywhere, it doesn't say anything. And there are the prayer mats of the Muslims which so impress the Westerners, they pray five times a day facing Mecca, sometimes praying in words they do not understand for they do not even speak Arabic or the language in which they are reciting these prayers. And they're not prayers, they're just recitations of verses of the Quran. But Jesus warns the disciples not to be like them. For it's a danger to all today, as it is for Christians today, thinking that we can impress God by the length of our prayers, or thinking we impress God by... ...blowing language we may use of Elizabethan English, or those poor people who think they're going to impress God by being able to speak it in Latin or those who think they're pray, they really praying to God when they're speaking in a language they do not understand themselves. See, are you impressed when you hear tales of the great ones, of Wesley and of Luther, praying for hours each day, wearing grooves in their prayer kneelers? Do you feel inadequate that your prayer time is so short and your words are so few? Don't be impressed an irrelevance how long somebody else prays for. Are you impressed by the Korean prayer mountains? I mean Korea is a nation that has turned to the Lord Jesus Christ in the last half century and one of the things that people speak of is the marvellous times of prayer that every morning groups of the Korean community are getting up for three, four hours before breakfast going up on the mountains and praying to God. I spoke to a Korean pastor and I mentioned this issue to him and he laughed and he says, yes, their problem is they haven't properly left Buddhism yet. They still think they're heard for their many words. When I was a student at Moore College, I was asked by the student body to approach the principal to ask us whether we could have an all-night prayer meeting at the college. The principal was a kindly old man, Broughton Knox, 
and he uh, greeted my request, or the student's request, with the, with the answer, well, do you think you're going to be heard for your many words? Do you think that by praying all night, God is going to do more for you than if you prayed half the night, or just for an hour or so? And I said, I don't know, but that's what the student, I was a student, he was an older man, I didn't know what to say at that point. And he said, well, certainly if you want to have it, you can have it. He said, but I'll only come to the beginning of it because I find after 15 minutes with my eyes closed, I fall asleep. There is a certain reality to what is being spoken of here that is really important. For there is a trouble is false thinking. The nations pray like this because they do not know God, the God who revealed himself to Moses and ultimately in the person of Jesus. They use prayer like some kind of magic, trying to manipulate God into giving some blessing, trying to find the mechanism that will, that will force God to do things for us, trying to impress God with our super spiritual gifts or trying to appease God by extra devotion. And so they think that they'll be heard because of their many words. They're not concerned about what they say. It can be utterly meaningless gibberish. But they are concerned about how much they say so that they can beat God into submission. Well, this is all contrasted to the Father's way of prayer. For he is the one that we are to pray to. And his is the reward that we should seek. So the way to pray to your Father in heaven is secretly. Look there at verse 6. But when you go, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The idea here of secrecy is not that we never pray out loud or out in public or in the synagogue or on the street corner, but that our secrecy will safeguard our sincerity. And sincerity is what matters. You see, you can be literal here and miss the point completely. The King James Version, for those of us old enough to remember it, you are supposed to go into your closet and pray secretly. And I knew a man many years ago who, using the King James Version, did exactly that. He didn't have a closet, he only had a wardrobe, so he climbed into his wardrobe and had his quiet times in his wardrobe with a torch. Uh, his family found him there and thought this was most peculiar behaviour, but he explained to them that he was following what the Bible said. And so every time he wanted to pray, he would go into the wardrobe, which told his family that he was at prayer because he was in the wardrobe again, which then meant it was the exact reverse of what the passage was saying. He was advertising his prayer times by climbing into the wardrobe. I knew a girl, a young girl, whose family never shut doors. It was a, just the kind of family that just, say, modesty was slightly different to our household. Theirs was a household that doors were never shut. When she became a Christian, she was the only Christian in the, in the family, she read this passage, go in, shut your door, so she went and shut the doors. Her mother came in very worried she was sick or something because the door was shut. What's up? She said, no, no, I'm just praying. And so every time she wanted to pray, she shut the door, which told the family she was praying because she was very keen to impress her family with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even when she was studying, she shut the door just to let them know that prayer was so important to her. So there she was able to 
slavishly follow the words here and miss the point completely because she was both hypocritical, praying in order to be seen, and like the Gentiles, trying to impress by the length of her prayer times. So you can follow the letter and miss the spirit completely. The idea here is sincerity. That's what matters. The secrecy is a mechanism to safeguard your sincerity. It's as we speak to God in our conversation with him, we want our conversation with him as we want our conversation with each other to communicate in reality, sincerely, truthfully, honestly. What we say should be what we mean. We don't speak in order to impress the bystander. We don't speak in order to impress the hearer. We have to speak in order to communicate the idea to another person. When preachers or when speakers in conversation speak in order to impress you rather than to convey information, there's a hypocrisy about it. And here in prayer, all we're doing is expressing to our Father our needs, our requests. I was in a congregation of very highly educated and intelligent people and there was a member of the congregation whose IQ was as far below the average as everybody else's seemed to be far above the average. He, he was literally illiterate. He was not able to read and as far as I could work out, he would never be able to read. He was a lovely Christian man. And when it came to open public prayer time and the microphone was put out and anyone in the congregation invited to come forward and lead us in prayer, he was always the first off the chair out to the microphone. It was so embarrassing to hear him for he, he wouldn't speak in an educated fashion but in a very childish way he would ask God's help for all kinds of situations in the world and in life that seemed kind of strange to us. And as I said, it was very embarrassing, especially when there were non-Christians or newcomers to this church. Because in that man's childlike manner of talking to God lay the open rebuke to all educated people who thought that they could impress God. For in that man's childlike manner, you could hear the true child of God talking to his father. unselfconsciously, without any artifice. He wasn't clever enough to have any artifice. It was just straight from the heart of the child to the father. And the clever prayers, and the theologically clever prayers, and the wander all over the text of the Bibles, a favourite Bible verses kind of prayers, never came close to the man who stood in front of us talking to his father as a true child of God. The reason for secrecy is sincerity, is reality. That's the way to pray to our Father in heaven, plainly, sincerely, truthfully, not impressively, but honestly. And then we will have our reward from him. 
For then our Father in heaven will hear our prayer, which of course is the reward for praying to our Father. What does the person who pray to the Father want? We want God to hear us. We want God to open his ears to our requests. We want God to open his hands to our needs. He doesn't give us brownie points because we remembered to pray this morning as opposed to forgetting yesterday. He, doesn't, he hasn't got a watch on us to reward us with flybys because we've remembered to pray longer than we did yesterday. But he listens to the child who comes to him in sincerity and in reality and makes whatever requests he wishes to. For there is nothing too big for God to do. And there is nothing too small for God to be interested in. And so as we ask him for things, what we're doing is relying upon him. We're depending upon him. We're trusting him. We're expressing our faith in him. Prayer is expressing faith. Is faith articulated. Is speaking your faith. It's saying, Heavenly Father, here is an issue. Here is a problem. Please can you look after it for me? I cannot do it. Will you do it for me, please? And as in everything else in the Sermon on the Mount, we are to pray differently. As Jesus says in chapter 6, verse 8, do not be like them. You see it there? John Stotney's excellent little book says that's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. Do not be like them. We're not to be like the Gentiles who heap up empty phrases in showy attempts to impress God, or for that matter, like the hypocrites who heap up showy prayers in an attempt to impress people. Our prayer life is to be different. Friends, this is an important area of true spirituality and righteousness. For church activities can so easily create the environment where we are more impressed by the form than by the reality. The desire to do everything decently and in order can become so, so preciously important to us that we lose the sense of normal reality in prayer. As if God is only contacted through rituals and liturgy. The desire for expressing ourselves passionately can also become so preciously important to us that we lose the sense of the normal reality of prayer as if God can only be contacted by shouting at him emotionally. It's a snare both for those who perform with style and for those who do not pray because they're inhibited by lack of eloquence. I mean, have you ever led in prayer in public and been concerned about how you came across have you ever declined to pray out loud because you're concerned that you couldn't do it? Either way, the hypocrisy is the same. God is neither impressed by you nor embarrassed by you. And so it doesn't matter how you come across. Remember, your father knows what you need before you ask him. The pagans don't know God. That's why they think that they'll be heard for their many words. But we know our Heavenly Father. We know that He knows our needs before we ask for His help. 
We know his power and his love. We don't have to coerce him into doing us a favour. We don't have to remind him as if he's forgetful, suffering some kind of dementia, moving into old age. We don't have to keep his attention on the job. Elijah makes fun of the prophets of Baal, who when they pray their Baal doesn't answer. And so Elijah pokes fun and says, maybe he's gone to the toilet, shout louder. God does not ever move away from us that we need to shout louder, cut ourselves. Rather, we have to express our dependence upon him and with gratitude in our hearts, asking him for whatever our concerns are, knowing that he cares for us more than we do and he is more willing to give to us than we are to ask. So Jesus gives his model there saying, pray then like this. That's funny, isn't it? When you get lessons on prayer from the Lord Jesus, he doesn't say, now what I want you to do is to sit down and settle down and hold your hands up and concentrate on your inner soul. He doesn't say, well, what you've got to do is hold up your hands or lay flat down or kneel on the kneelers. He doesn't say you've got to use this language. Jesus' concern about our prayer is what we pray. It's the concern of the content of our prayer. See, the logic of this passage of the sermon, you'll notice, is Jesus' prayer. Now, I'm going to deal with that in a coming week, so just let me run through just a few points here just to show the logic of what I'm saying in this prayer of Jesus, which I take it is well known for us, but we'll deal with it in, a, in, a, in the future. Notice it addresses God directly as the, our Father in heaven. Notice it's extraordinarily short. You can write it on the back of a stamp. In fact, people have written on the back of a stamp. In fact, I don't know why people do write it on the backs of stamps. It's one of those weird things that people have done in a previous generation. But it's that short. It's, it's over before you've almost started. Notice it goes straight to the point. It prays for the things that God has promised in the Old Testament, especially, say, Ezekiel 36 and 37. And it prays about the coming of the kingdom, when God's name would be hallowed by his, in his people. And when the disciples would be sharing in this kingdom that they are proclaiming. So for the disciples of Jesus to do their righteousness like salt and like light, they have to be real in their prayer. A reality that flows from the reality of God. Because God is the Father, loving, caring Father, almighty Father, Father in heaven, because God is the Father in heaven who knows what we need before we ask, who sees all things, even the things done in secret, who knows the motivations and intentions of our hearts and who rewards those who come to him in faith, because of the reality of God, our prayer life flows from our reality of our relationship with him the relationship which we can only have through the Lord Jesus Christ. For by his death, he turned aside God's anger against our sinfulness, for God, he paid for all our sins. And by his resurrection, he poured out his spirit into our hearts, into our lives, so that he gave us new birth to be his sons and daughters, so that we can now call upon God as Father, Abba, Father. For now... 
forgiven by him and adopted into his family, we approach God, the just and holy ruler of the world, and call him Father and make our request known as a child does to its parent, not as a sinner does to an angry God. Knowing he's more willing to give than we are to ask like a generous, kind father that he is. Do you have that relationship with the father? Well, we see, without that faith in the father, you can't actually pray to the father. If God is for you still the angry judge who rightly is condemning you for your guilt, you can't approach him as your father and ask things, expecting out of his grace that he will give you anything. But if you know the forgiveness of the heavenly father through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know the one who is more willing to give to you than you are to ask. And so you ask. You put your trust in him. You express your faith in him. And you ask of him anything that he would have. You see, the initial prayer is that prayer in the box on the back that I often finish Bible study with and going to today too. For until this is your prayer, all other prayers are in a sense an irrelevance because you're not yet approaching God as your father. But this prayer, in the little one in the box there in italics, you see, says, Dear God, I know I'm not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of eternal life. I'm guilty of rebellion. I need forgiveness. And thank you for sending your son to die for me that I may be forgiven. Thank you that he raised a new life that I might be given you life. So please forgive me and change me that I may live with Jesus as my ruler. For when Jesus is my ruler, God is my father. And when God is my father, I can make my requests known to him. I don't have to twist his arm. I don't have to beat the air. I don't have to manipulate him. I, I just go to dad and ask him because he loves me so much. Do you know God the Father as the basis of your prayers? If not, can I encourage you to join me as I pray this out loud? You pray it in the quietness of your own heart and come and talk to us about it afterwards. Let's pray. Dear God, I know that I'm not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of eternal life. I'm guilty of rebelling against you and ignoring you and I need forgiveness. Thank you for sending your son to die for me that I may be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me that I may live with Jesus as my ruler. Amen.